Hi, everybody. Welcome to Beyond Consulting. This podcast is sponsored by ECA Partners, an executive search firm that focuses on value creation roles across strategy, finance, and operations. I am joined today by Nicola, who is currently at a company called Solvay and previously was a management consultant at Oliver Wyman. Nicola, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Olivia. Yeah. Absolutely great. Really excited about this discussion. For starters, can you just tell the audience a little bit about yourself, the 1000 foot view of your background, where you are right now and how you got there? Absolutely. So I'm currently the Digital Business Transformation Director for Solvay. In other words, I'm an entrepreneur within Solvay, which is a big chemistry, specialty chemistry corporation. Before that, as you said, I was a consultant at Oliver Wyman based in Paris. And actually before that, I was doing post-merger integration at Procter & Gamble in Toronto. And I actually started my career doing jet engine manufacturing at Pratt & Whitney Canada in Montreal. Fantastic. So globetrotting career as well as some really interesting career moves. So let's start off by talking about what made you want to be a consultant. Great question. I mean, I was a bit different as I came to consultant a bit later in my career, right? I mean, after being at Pratt & Whitney and, Oliver and Procter & Gamble, I did my MBA at INSEAD. And to be honest, through the MBA, you kind of get brainstormed that you have to do consultant. Uh, that's the right uh, thing to do. I mean, bottom line, I was very, very curious and I saw consulting as a great way to continue my learning. Yeah, fantastic. I know when we were just kind of chatting before this call, you mentioned that consulting is really great preparation for corporate America. Could you tell me you know, kind of a little bit more, what, what do you mean by that, especially coming from an international background, as I'm sure people can tell, I'm also not American by birth. What I really, really enjoyed in consulting, and I, I mean, I had the blast in consulting and working with great team, talented folks, but bottom line is the opportunity I got to explore corporations from within as a trusted advisor was really unique, right? So, I mean, I'm an aerospace guy. That's what I like. And I mean, having the opportunity to do projects with either satellite manufacturers or avionics manufacturers was unique. And one example, so we were doing kind of a bit of an R&D review and reviewing the full strategy of a major avionics OEM. You know, stupid stuff. Like when you take the plane 10 years ago, you were not allowed to use your device at takeoff and landing. And I was always wondering why. And they were telling you, oh, it's because of interference and so on. 15 years ago, I mean, with the guys I was working with who were designing those equipment were telling me, hey, that's completely rubbish. The reason why they don't want you to do that is more for evacuation procedure. They're afraid that you're going to, you know, play with your, your device and so on. So I mean, it's an example, but that kind of information, I would not have trusted it by reading it online, by meeting the people who are designing those equipment was fascinating. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Did any other projects stand out from your time as Oliver Wyman as being kind of either just really interesting or formational in terms of what you went on to do later on? I mean, they were all super interesting. And again, the idea is to be able to go in a company, ask any question you want, play a bit dumb, but at the same time, learn the in and out of a company that as an employee would probably not have access to that kind of information. When I was working for Satellite OEM, Seeing the design and manufacturing process and then the launch of a satellite firsthand is absolutely unique. I mean, seeing the white room where you build those satellites, being able to go there and meet the people who are the super genius behind those pieces of equipment is great. 
at the same time and having to redo the whole thing through a rationalization project, even though they're not the most fun, is super interesting because you're able, even though you're not the expert, to ask expertise to the people who have it and then redesign it to make it super efficient. And at the end of the day, in corporate America, you're doing the exact same thing. Yeah, that makes sense. This question is actually more of my personal curiosity than anything else. But did you find working in consulting in France to be a different culture than consulting in the States? <laughs> I mean, this was all pre-COVID, so things were really different. But, you know, I like to joke that when I started actually at Procter Gamble, but consulting was a bit of the same. You know, people trust you and there was not that much of the, the physical presence. In France, if you were not physically in the office, you were definitely not working. So that was a bit of, you know, the glass half full or half empty type thing. But French were different, even though, I mean, I learned stuff in France. Like, for example, in the U.S., you eat in front of your PC at lunch because you want to get out of the office earlier. Well, in France, if you do that, you'll be categorized as an antisocial. Uh, I mean, it's a big, big, big red flag. So you actually take an hour for lunch, but this is where you learn to bound with your colleagues and you end up having a much more, you know, it's a different type of interaction. Yeah, yeah, no, that resonates a lot with my experience of UK culture as well. Like it, you really do want to go to the pub on a Friday after work for those exact same reasons. But great to kind of get back on track a little bit. How long were you at Oliver Wyman for and when did you start thinking about what you were going to do next? So I was at Wyman for three years. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I would have stayed longer, but I mean, as an anecdote, and you know, so my most loyal customer was also my most demanding customer. And in one of those projects, I remember I was grilled to basically figuring out what was the strategic roadmap of a competitor. And of course, that's confidential information. It's not something you'll find on the shelf and so on. But with good challenge from, from client, which is always appreciated, I ended up spending my 30th birthday whole week living in the office with my team, going through every type of press release or deal flow that could exist. And we figured out more or less what was a strategy, which happened to be pretty close to reality. And basically, that customer happened to be my current employer. Got it. Got it. Can you share a few more details about how that happened? <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, consulting was great, but then my kind of contact who was not the sponsor of the project, but at some point in one of those long meetings where we're trying to kind of hammer out strategy and so on, was telling me, hey, Nicola, you're too good to be a consultant. Kind of, uh, why don't you come to the real life and try to have real impact on what you do? It's flirty, so we say, ah, well, we'll consider it and so on. And two months down the road, I decided to take his offer. To be honest, I had two kids at the time. And even though I love consulting, I felt it was pushing from an intellectual standpoint myself to great limits, I didn't really get control on my schedule. And we were in France without real support network in France and so on. So I felt that I was curious to go back to something I controlled a bit more. Yeah, that makes total sense. And what other factors do you think came into play that you just mentioned the desire to have an impact? I'm sure that must have been a large one. I mean, designing the strategy is extremely motivating, intellectually satisfying. But at the end of the day, having worked in industry before, I was always a bit curious about, all right, was my deck of slide actually applied? How it would work? What didn't work? A bit of the feedback loop on it. And of course, you go lunch with clients afterwards to get a bit of feedback. And it's always super interesting. But part of it, the strategy is the first part. The execution, the delivery, the actual work to get it to work is also very important. So that's what I was kind of missing a little bit. And I was curious to try to see, you know, I said consulting was a great learning opportunity opportunity. 
But for that learning to pay off, you have to put it back to work in the full scope. Yeah, yeah. And when you were thinking about making the exit from consulting, did you just kind of have the sense that your current employer was the one, so to speak? Did you take some time to look around at other opportunities? Or did you have a sense of conviction that probably because you'd done a lot of research on them, that that was going to be a really good home for you? No, I mean, great question. At the end of the day, I mean, I think my, like most consultants, I was receiving at least a couple of headhunters looking at, you know, say, hey, why don't you move here? I mean, or some other consulting, which I was not interested to change consulting firm. I thought it was like working, being on two horses and having the danger of getting into the horse between the two and getting walked over. So no, I did not do a thorough market assessment at the time. What was different though, is that as that was my most loyal customer, I've done numerous projects with them. I probably had a hundred contacts in my phone. And at some point when I decided to make the switch, I basically kept the same phone. I just changed the at oliverwyman.com to at solve.com and that's it. So I just showed up in the office and most of my contacts were kind of, hey, people were surprised, but it was very, very, very easy. It was the easiest work transition ever for me. Right, no, that makes sense. And let's talk about Solvay now. In your role or roles that you've held, I know you've had a couple of positions, how do you feel like you use your managing consulting toolkit to succeed? Yeah. My first role in Solvay was, you know, I don't like to call it this way, but it's very much internal consulting type thing where you're working with the businesses to try to improve on different dimensions. And I was strategic marketing leader at the time. So that's typical toolkit. I mean, I would try to recreate some of my consulting ecosystem around me with junior staff and so on. So that was great, but I think people can figure it out what it is. The interesting part is more the later on. I mean, being in the company, seeing everything that works and that works last well, I got super motivated to find a new way to innovate. And Solvay, to put it into perspective, was 10 billion euro revenue. We sell chemist, specialty chemistry. It goes from the composite in the plane you fly, to silica in the, in the um, tires to reduce rolling resistance, to soda ash to build windows, very specialty chemistry or a bit more commodity as well. It's, all right, how do you innovate in that landscape? I mean, we've been founded 150 years ago by a guy called Ernest Solvay, Nobel type guy. And in his garage, basically he invented the soda ash process, or more or less how to make bicarbonate and soda ash. And okay, how do we move from there? I mean, Solvay, we invest a ton in R&D every year to, to always try to find a new molecule. And that's great. But how do you upgrade that in, you know, in the 21st century? And this is where I got passionate about saying, all right, how can we look at new business model and why not using product and use data so or customer data to help improve the performance of our products? And that's what I've been doing for the last five years. Right. You described that right at the start of our chat as a entrepreneurship project. We can keep this at a pretty high level, but is there anything kind of exciting that you can share? about that transition or maybe just the padding around that again kind of going back to your consulting days are you building pitches and presenting them and trying to align stakeholders like how much of that is your current role all right so maybe let me explain a bit my current role so again solve we usually i mean our business model is to sell chemistry usually you know by the volume or by the kilogram what i'm doing is to say all right can we 
maybe go a bit downstream in the value chain and help our customer use the chemistry in the most optimal way. And the market I chose to do that is basically our mining market. So in mining, we sell the reagents, so the chemistry that's used to extract the copper, the gold, the silver from the powder or the rock that basically our customer will extract out of the ground. And so we sell that chemistry. We're the number one in the world there. But if we want to stay there, how can we push performance and help our customer get even more copper or more gold out of their operations? And this is where we believe that it's a dynamic chemistry, right? Chemistry cannot be a flat consumable in your process. It needs to change and it needs to change based on input data that's being now monitored with the explosion of sensors and data being collected at the mine. So that's what I've been working on. It's a big shift for Solve because it means new contact at customer and new type of interaction with customer, but the value proposition is the same, getting more performance out of your operations. And if I build on that, I mean, you ask me, I mean, pitches and at the end of the day, I mean, my consulting time was the best preparation I could get for this, right? If I look at what I do, how do you initiate a project? Well, in consulting, it's about either, you know, have dinner with a future client and you find an opportunity or you receive a request for proposal. In that case, it's my time at internal consulting, finding an opportunity, then meeting the mining leaders and so on to craft my stuff. Again, same thing. On the diagnostic, how you do it. I mean, I talked early on about doing an R&D kind of review and market review for an avionics manufacturer. So what I did in my mining business is the same thing. I mean, you organize workshop, you have a bunch of one-to-ones, and then of course you build your Excel file, you have your own model, you understand where's the market going, what would be the differentiator and how I would do that. Then you build your kind of business case, would it fly? I mean, how much money you need to do it? I mean, which is the exact same actually as bidding a pitch for consulting when you're building the proposition that you're going to try to convince a client that you're the best firm to execute on it. It's the same thing. I mean, it's basically your deck storytelling that you're putting there. And then you're doing the sales. I mean, you're hoping that you close the deal. And same thing on my front. It was about getting funding, making sure I can secure resources and so on. And of course, the tough thing is after that, how do you actually execute on it and make the wow? That's a lot of fun. And that's a bit of the difference as well with consulting, where you probably stop at the recommendation stage. In my case, all right, I mean, how do I build a team? What error did I make building that team? What changes can I do? What kind of pivot I can make? I would say the biggest difference is those pivots that needs to happen in the journey of the initiative. While in consulting, you don't pivot much. You get a conviction, which is basically what you work on. Yeah, fantastic. And you completely anticipated my next question there, which was we've talked about the synergies and the overlaps between consulting and your current role. But what have the differences been? You know, besides the execution side, Are there any other differences, perhaps ones that you anticipated or others that have surprised you a little bit? Information comes from people or from data source. Getting access to data source is a bit different, right? When you're in consulting, I'm sure some of the listeners might be referred to by clients sometimes as auditors, right? I mean, you're there because top management opened you the door. And so you're getting everything you want. When you're within the firm, well, you have to convince people that you know this is relevant information. If you, I mean, you're going outside of your strict perimeter, which of course we need to do all the time. So that's a bit different. At the same time, it's back to you know understanding a situation, convincing people, and then uh, doing it. But I would say the internal politics is a bit different. I mean, when you're in consultant, there's not much politics in the consulting firm itself, and at clients, you're shielded from that. All right, Nicola. So getting towards the end here. What advice would you give to people who are currently management consultants? They've arrived at the point where they know that they don't want to be partners. They're thinking about that transition. Great question. First thing is 
don't be afraid. I mean, the life in consulting was the best school, uh, at least in my case, and great learning opportunity, but you have to apply that learning at some point. As I used to say when I was giving courses, if you don't apply it within 24 hours, you're likely going to lose it. So you need to make that switch and consulting is the perfect school for corporate America or entrepreneurship. Broader advice that I would keep people is, again, use your time in consulting to be curious. You have a unique opportunity to see things from the inside that are not available for the public eye. Use that. I mean, build up yourself to do that. Don't judge. And sometimes we have a tendency you know, to judge when what in specific situation. Don't judge, but look at the internal politics within organization. That's also going to make you stronger when you join a company. Be open-minded. There's new ways of working and company don't work on the same operating system than consulting firms. But understanding that, I mean, as you have access to everything within a firm is fascinating. And yeah, maybe finally life doesn't end in consulting, actually quite the opposite. Challenges are different, definitely more on the execution part, but as rewarding. And firm like ECA are probably your best friends. So, uh, you know, if you're not getting reached out for your dream job, uh, maybe you should be proactive. I appreciate the, the shout out there. Yeah, I, I have to imagine it must be very fulfilling to see the, the execution side of things really come through, as well as designing the strategy. And I'm in it for the long run. Awesome, awesome, all right. We ask everybody this. It doesn't have to be related to the industry or anything like that, but would you recommend a book that you think helped you with big life transitions like that in any way, shape or form? My favorite book is The Goal from Mr. Goldratt. And this is basically the Toyota production system, right? So as an engineer, what I found always surprising is there's bottleneck everything. How much to the optimum are you? And if you're not there, what can you change to get to that optimum? And so that book is about that stuff. And you know, it, it shaped my way of thinking a bit. Okay, that's fantastic. That's really interesting. We'll drop a link to the book in the description. That sounds really interesting. Okay, Nicola, that I, I think were all of the kind of talking points that I wanted to cover. So Thank you so much for taking the time to be a guest on our podcast. We really, really appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks a lot, Olivia. All right. Thank you so much. Bye.